Welcome to Demystifying Innovation, a podcast from the Office of Research and Innovation at Humber College. I'm Nathan Whitlock, a professor and program coordinator in Humber's Faculty of Media and Creative Arts. In this podcast, we talk to academic leaders about the setbacks, challenges, obstacles, and outright mistakes they've faced in their careers, and the important lessons they've drawn from those moments. My guest for this episode is Gina Antonacci, Humber's Senior Vice President for Academics. So welcome, Gina. Thank you very much for doing this uh, for doing this podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. And I want to start by congratulating you because you've just started in a new position. You've had multiple leadership positions in your career and at Humber, but you've now started as the uh, Senior VP of for Academic. Thank you. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be at Humber and to be in this role. I'm very excited about connecting, you know, connecting with uh, people across the college. I feel like this role gives me um, an opportunity to do that in a new way. And so that is what excites me the most about this role. Well, I know from our previous interactions throughout the college that this is something that you are very good at, <laughs> at connecting with people. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's a challenge right now, obviously, when so many people are not physically at the college mm-hmm. to to actually make those same kind of connections. But uh, I am certain you can pull it off. If anyone can pull it off, you can. Thank you for your confidence in me. <laughs> <laughs> you can put that on your LinkedIn page if you want oh, my endorsement. <laughs> Again, you've had so many of these leadership positions and there is always pressure to keep things moving forward, to keep up to date, to keep innovating, to take, take certain risks. But I'm sure as with anybody in a leadership position, you must have the temptation sometimes to just leave well enough alone. If things are working, just let it work. How do you keep yourself and how do you keep your team and your the people working with you in that space where they feel they can take risks and they can innovate and they can try things without worrying that, oh no, if this goes off slightly, we're gonna we're all gonna get fired or yelled at or whatever it is. Well, I think the answer is I tell them that. Um, you know, <laughs> we talk about that and, and we make it clear that um, Humber is who we are because over the years people have taken risks and people have innovated and have had the courage to do, do new things and scary things at times. And I think that is why courage and innovation are both values, um, Humber values, and, and we live those values. And over the last year during the pandemic, we have seen those values operationalized many, many times over. Um, I've seen the courage of faculty, staff, students. I've seen the innovation um, that has been identified. I've seen, you know, new ways of of teaching and learning. Um, and all of that required us to take risks as we did it. And we we didn't always get it right. We made mistakes. We backtracked. We walked things back at various times. We turned this ship around many times. Um, over the last year and a half, um, but did it in a an environment and it, with an understanding that yes, that this is our culture and this is you know what we what we believe in. So um, it starts by making it clear that that this is who we are and and we get it. And have you 
Have you had those moments personally, though, uh, and you don't have to name any particular <laughs> programs or people that you work with, where someone comes to you with an idea that you know maybe is a great idea or maybe you can't quite see the end of it, but you think uh, whether this is great or not, this is going to involve a lot of upheaval and change. Maybe it's just better to kind of leave things out. Do you ever feel those those moments of of fear and and uh, trepidation? I guess absolutely. And you know, one of the things about being at Humber is that we seldom say no. We seldom say no to ideas or initiatives or, or new programming. And what we've learned over the last year and a half is that we had to say no in new ways. We had to say often not now, we had to say, look, we are so close to the edge in terms of using our resources, in terms of you know, committing ourselves to uh, priorities that we've already you know, started, that there have been times when we've had to say, you know what, let's put that on the back burner and let's think about that later. And that's hard for me to do because I'm always like, yeah, let's do it, let's go. But it was about recognizing, you know, when, when you look in the eyes of some of your people and you see how exhausted they are and you see that, you know, they're dealing with both personal and professional challenges during this pandemic. Um, and so it was about leadership was about saying, you know, not now. Leadership was often over the last year and a half about saying, let's let's deal with what we have to do let's deal let's be reactive as required and let's pick and choose those things that we want to pursue in a proactive way and we did that and we got a lot done over the last year and a half we launched new degrees we engaged in innovative work integrated learning we engaged in research you know we did a lot of really amazing things our centers of innovation kept working um, and engaging um, and so we had an, an I, what I think was a nice combination of both reactive and proactive um, responses over the past year and a half. This is not to be telling tales at a school because he did say it on this podcast in an earlier episode, <laughs> but uh, I interviewed um, Guillermo Acosta, the Dean of of actually my Dean of Media and Creative Arts. And he mentioned that um, some of his staff and some of the people who work with always worry when he goes to a conference because they know he will come back with all these big ideas like this is what we're doing we, we're changing direction we're going so he also values people he works with who will say wait a minute whoa 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 let's let's look this through let's let's hold on a moment yeah yeah and there have been a few times nathan when something has come along and i've said to a dean this is too good for us to pass up I know we're busy and I know we said we weren't going to take on anything new, but there is a very small window of opportunity for this particular opportunity. And so mm -hmm. we need to look at it and we need to, you know, reassess our resources and make this work. So right. I, I hear you. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's uncomfortable when you have to say no to something that you know is a good idea just because of resources or timing, whatever. Um, and not to keep you in this realm of the uncomfortable, but one of the central things we talk about in this podcast is this idea of failing and how failing, failure can be a kind of research, can be learning, can be, you know, you build upon it. So I'm wondering, is there a moment in your professional career where you experienced a moment of, of setback or serious setback or serious failure of some kind that you, that you learned a lot from? 
Sure, thank you. Um, so there have been many times throughout my career where I have experienced what I refer to as operational fails. Things where, you know, we had a goal and for whatever reason there was a setback and we had to readjust, realign, pivot and, and go back at it. And that happened many, many times throughout my career. But, you know, as I was thinking about preparing for this podcast, I, I really had one event in my life experience that um, had a um, phenomenal um, impact on me in my life. And it happened when I was a probation and parole officer. So um, some people will know that my academic preparation um, started in the area of criminology and criminal justice. And my first job out of university was that of a probation and parole officer. And um, so I was young, I was new. Um, and in, in a few years after beginning that role, um, I, ha I had a, an experience where it really um, had an impact on my life in that it caused me to think about, you know, who I am, what I want to do, and, and how I relate to other people. And more important for me at that time, and even now, was how I support other people. And um, maybe I'll just tell you a little bit about what happened, and then I can talk to you about some of the lessons learned. Um, so as a probation and parole officer, you have uh, clients, and I was working in a downtown Toronto office, and I had a number of clients that had what we called NFA, no fixed address. And so many of those people are, are transient people that truly do not have a, an address. They don't live anywhere in particular. They are um, transient. And I had this one client who um, I would say I, uh, many, on, when I think back, was one of my favorite clients. She, um, she referred to herself as a bag lady and she always used her fingers to show quotations when she said it. Right. Like, I'm a bag lady. Um, <laughs> and she was the most um, interesting person because um, she came from an affluent family. She um, had was educated. She, and she, um, as it turns out, she had a number of problems that led her to um, living a transient lifestyle. And so she spent um, her days really um, in shelters and um, with a number of organizations that support uh, people who are homeless during the day. And she ended up on probation to me. And um, I quickly realized when I started um, supervising her that she was, you know, she was special. She was articulate. She was educated. She had class. Um, she, 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 just by her, the way she was, she taught me so many lessons about, you know, what's important. Um, she, however, had many demons and she was struggling with um, substance abuse issues, um, mental health issues. Um, she had, um, you know, she had separated from her family. She didn't have any supports. And so her family really did become um, her professional contacts, um, people like me that she was engaged with, as well as other people who were transient and on the street that she would meet. She um, did not like sleeping in shelters. Um, and I remember I worked so hard with so many programs for her to try and get her housing, permanent housing. I worked with her on her on substance abuse and none of the programs ever worked. She always um, ended up back into her current situation. And it was a very uh, challenging time. I remember one time I called um, a helpline for people with substance abuse. And uh, I said, you know, I'm trying to help this woman 
what can be I be doing to help support her? And the person who answered the phone um, said something to me that was really important. And he said to me, you want this more than she does. He said to me, you need to give her, um, it's her responsibility. You can support her and help her, but I can hear in your voice that you want her more than, than she does. And you have to find a way to um, basically let go personally and and recognize that you know only she can make changes in her life and you know that was a hard thing for me to hear I was young I was um, I was in a place where I thought I was going to change the world and really make a difference and so um, we went through this cycle of moving of trying different programs moving her into various things working with other professionals that were connected with her um, and and it and it it never worked. Um, it turned out that because she didn't like staying in shelters, she um, found an abandoned truck and she would um, sleep in the abandoned truck. And um, that's not uncommon for people who are transient that they find other places. They don't want to um, be a part of the culture, if you will, of being in shelters. And um, one night I was driving, I'll, I'll never forget it, it was December 17th, and uh, I was out, I uh, had been Christmas shopping, and I got in my car and turned on the radio, and as I was driving, um, a newscaster said, these were the exact words, Toronto police made a grisly discovery of a woman found frozen to death in the cab of a truck, um, and I just, I knew it was her, intuitively, mm -hmm. I just knew it was her. So um, I got home, we didn't have cell phones then. So um, I got home, I called the police. I, I said, I know who it is. And sure enough, they confirmed the identity. And what followed then was a series of, you know, legal kinds of um, engagements. There was two months later, there was an inquest and I was called to um, testify at the inquest. And there were a number of the professionals involved in her life and her care were um, involved in that process. I happened to be the first one. And uh, I remember it was a Friday afternoon at about four o'clock and I gave my evidence and I explained probably most of what I've just said here. Um, but also um, it was clear that I, I, I made it clear that I knew that she was um, sleeping in the truck. And the, um, uh, you know, the, the coroner asked questions about that. And uh, I remember saying, you know, she's not the only one. There's many other people out there right now doing the exact same thing. And, and the media picked up on the story. And of course, you know, that I was on city TV and the, the, um, and, and every other TV, um, the newspaper articles all came in probation officer knew um, woman was sleeping in a truck and, and of course, along with that was the, um, the assumption that I ought to have done something about it and that I didn't. And I knew in my heart of hearts, as did all of the other professionals connected with the case and her family, by the way, who also stepped forward. Uh, we all knew that what we had done and, and how hard we had worked to help her. Um, but there was, it was living with that, um, the perception that others were probably thinking that. And I had to really come to terms with, um, you know, my involvement in her life. And um, I had to 
be strong and recognize that, um, you know, that there were circumstances here that um, I did not have control over. I learned so many lessons. Um, the, I guess the most important of which was that um, there are limits to what you can do in terms of supporting and helping other people. Um, and that in order to work in that field, in the helping field, you have to get to a place where you are, you are comfortable with knowing that you aren't always going to be successful, that your clients are going to um, go back into jail, your clients are, are going to, um, you know, die, your clients are going to um, be in situations where they're not successful. And so that was something that, you know, for me, really um, shaped, I think, who I am as a person and the lessons that I learned through her and, and her life were just, um, you know, I, I think about her all the time. I still think about her. Mm. Um, and uh, she, you know, she, she, she changed me. And um, I know she cared a great deal about me. We cared about each other. We had a professional relationship, of course, but there was um, mutual respect. Um, and, you know, that I think guided the work that we did. So, so when you asked me for something that, you know, was, was a fail, um, this was a fail in, in many ways, um, but it was more than that. It was also an opportunity for me to learn and grow and to um, get to a place where I was able to understand my own limitations and, um, and also, you know, I am, I'm now able to think back on her and that incident um, with uh, an appreciation that I wasn't able to do for many years. It took maturity and growth for me to get to that place um, and, and lots of talking to other people and counseling and, you of know, course, of course, yeah, yeah where, where you have to um, do your own work, right? And this was an incident that required me to do my own work and <laughs> to, um, to, to really dig deep and understand, um, you know, what it, what it meant in my life and, and probably more important, um, how I can, how I can use that to continue to grow and be better, be a better person. Absolutely. I mean, that's such a difficult situation. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's, uh, I can't even believe having to go through a situation like that. But I wonder if that, and this isn't to belittle any of the work you do at Humber or, or in, in any sort of educational capacity, but I wonder if that provided a certain amount of perspective on the work you do now, where if there is a quote unquote disaster, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if there's a problem, you can look at that and say, that's not a problem. We can solve that. <laughs> that is, I have been through so much worse than that. We'll Maybe, get through that. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying that because it's so true. It's so true. I will, people who, who work closely with me will know that I have often said things like, look, folks, no one is dying. <laughs> no, no one yeah. is, is dying here. We can figure this out. We can work this through. And it does give me perspective. And I would say my whole career in corrections gave me that kind of perspective to be able to say, um, we can we can problem solve our way out of everything in post-secondary. Yeah. I mean, at the very least, if a, you know, if 
a learning management system doesn't come online exactly when you intended, you're not going to end up on city TV no. being interviewed. It's... I hope not. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. And so that, that, that perspective is definitely there. Um, it, and, and I think it left me with a depth of understanding that, um, that had, if I had not had that, I may not have been able to have had the same kind of compassion and understanding for, uh, for people over the year. And it also helped me to be a better teacher. So after I left corrections, when I came to Humber and I was teaching um, uh, our students to be police officers, knowing what they were going to be facing, knowing the kinds of situations, they're going to have lots of situations similar to this that they're going to be addressing in their lives. And it was about using that experience to help them understand how to navigate that and what to what extent they can um, to hold themselves ac accountable and at what point they have to learn to let go. At what point they have to learn to say, I'm sorry, I can't take that on. Um, right. So that was really where the, um, and, and I think that I was able to do a lot of my own work with my students as we talked about situations like that. Um, because you know, an, an important reality of working in that world is about the fact that you know there are traumatic events that you are going to be facing and that you're going to be dealing with. That's that's the challenge. And I was married to a police officer, so you know, together we you know we often um, had to navigate those kinds of of situations and conversations. Thank you so much for sharing that again, Gina. Uh, I, I hope nothing comes up in your new job that is anywhere near as traumatic or that needs to be navigated in the same way. But I know you're very busy and I, I thank you for your generosity with your time and, and with these insights. Thank you, Nathan. Never too busy to connect. So thank you. And that is the podcast. Special thanks to Ginger Grant and Rochelle Morris in the Office of Research and Innovation, to Sarah Nyman and Chris Middleton at Humber Press, and to Humber's own Andy Scott, who provided the music for this series. This episode was edited, edited, edited. by me.